welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. I read Acts chapter 10, verses uh, 1 through 16, uh, but we'll be looking as best we can at that whole chapter this morning. So uh, Acts chapter 10 is where we are. One thing I'm fairly certain of uh, is that this generation will go down uh, as a generation of identity. And here's what I mean by that. Uh, in some more recent generations, some previous generations, uh, we had um, about 100, 125 years ago uh, what has been come, become known as, as the greatest generation. Uh, this generation was identified uh, really in a corporate manner. It was uh, Tom Brokaw who uh, really made this phrase popular, the greatest generation, as uh, he wrote a book and he profiled American members of this generation who came of age uh, during the Great Depression and went on to fight World War II, uh, as well as those who contributed to the war effort on the home front. Uh, so we identified that generation as uh, the greatest generation. They had a collective identity. They worked together to accomplish some uh, great historical feats, and no doubt they still had their issues. This generation, however, um, has kind of pushed back against that idea of a collective identity, and you can probably see this and agree with this, I I think so, uh, that we have pushed back against this idea of a collective identity to where we have these individualistic identities. We have become so nuanced with our identities that we give our lives away to curate a very specific identity. We see that in, in, in ways this day with, with gender and orientations and political ways. And, and even with churches, we see churches that are very specific in their identity, which can be a, a good thing, but it can also be a very divisive thing. Even the mayor of Harahan uh, wrote this week in response to the tragedy uh, that we had to hear about and a family is having the hard, hard time uh, of walking through such a, a dark and sick and twisted tragedy. Um, continue to pray for that family. Here's what uh, the mayor of Harahan said. He said, quite frankly, over the past five years, social media, political and economic uncertainty, civil unrest, and, and COVID have made society more isolated, more divisive, and more on edge. And we are slowly becoming numb to the violence and tragedy we see on the news every evening. We become so identified and so nuanced in our identities and and who we are that we're seeing the results of that, that we are so divided and we are so angry at one another and so divided against one another that we've really started to look on people who are not just like us in in very um, horrible ways. And if we aren't careful, we can start making identities and I'm idols out of our identity. We can start making idols out of our identity. Our identities can start putting walls up, here's what I want you to know, with people that aren't exactly like us. Have you seen that before? And think, think about we are a generation coming up now, I believe, with maximum personal identification and extreme division. 
what we see in Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 10, we're seeing those dividing walls of hostility that, that long stood between Jew and Gentile. We're seeing in these long narratives in Acts chapter 9 and 10, these, these big works of God to, to tear down those walls of hostility that have long stood so that there be, God's beginning to answer the question for, for, for the church, for the Jews and the Gentiles of, of who's in? Who's in? Where, and even answering the question, where does our true identity come from? Because because Peter had an identity as a, as a Jew. Cornelius, you're going to see, had an identity as, as, as the man that he was. And, and God is going to bring them together to make this glorious statement of what God is doing through Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. I want to break this down into three scenes. Scene number one will be Cornelius' vision. Scene number two will be Peter's vision. And scene number three that we will see as God brings these two men together to declare something glorious. So the first thing that I want you to see this morning is Cornelius's vision. You can see that in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 8. I read it a second ago. I'm not going to read it again right now. Some things that we see about Cornelius, some, some things that you see about the identity of Cornelius. He had a wonderful identity. He was a God-fearer. And this description of Cornelius indicates that he was favorable towards Judaism, its teaching and its rituals. He likely frequented the synagogue and, and sought to live as much as he could by Jewish law. And he was ripe for a conversion to Christianity. He was pious and even had influenced his entire family. Do you see what it says there? He was a devout man who feared God with all of his household. And so he was true to what he was doing, and even his household saw what power this was in his life, that his whole household was living in this way. So, so this man, Cornelius, was, was respected as a leader of what's described here as a centurion that was part of the Italian cohort. And he was a God-fearer. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of giving. He had a wonderful identity. And at that moment, the Bible goes on to tell us that Cornelius was even praying at this moment where the Lord meets him in a vision. He doesn't say it directly here in the first few verses, but if you look at chapter 10, verse 30, when Cornelius is recounting this with Peter, he says, four days ago about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing. And so God meets Cornelius, this man with a wonderful identity, a religious identity, even an identity as a wonderful leader in his, in his city, in his region. God meets him at the hour of prayer. Was Cornelius a sinner? Yes. And was he outside the covenant? Certainly. But was he a swine, filthy, unclean, not worthy of full acceptance into the community of faith? No. In fact, he was even a spiritually minded Roman officer who was longing for the true God. He and his whole family were. So here's what I want you to know about Cornelius, that he had a wonderful identity, but he longed for more. 
He says, what is it, Lord? And he said, send Simon Peter. And later we go on to say that, we, we go on to find out that the Lord is going to tell him something through Simon Peter. And Cornelius wants to know what Simon Peter has to say, that he knew that even as his identity that he enjoyed here in Acts chapter 10, verses 1 through 8, that, that he still needed more. He was still missing something. And so we see that. Cornelius and his vision of this angel that just simply tells him to call for one named Simon Peter who is at Joppa. What does Cornelius do? Immediate obedience. He gets his servants. He doesn't question. He said, yes, Lord. The angel spoke to him and departed. He called his servants, a devout soldier from among those who attended him. He related everything to him and sent them on to Joppa. That's Cornelius and Cornelius' vision. Go get Simon Peter. Without question, he sends his men to go get Simon Peter. That's scene number one. Scene number two, here's Peter's vision. So back to Peter. Uh, what is he doing? The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 10, verse, verse 9, that so Cornelius's, Cornelius's men are on this journey. Peter is at Simon the Tanner's house in, in Joppa. And he is on the housetop. It's about noontime, the sixth hour. Peter is also praying, just like Cornelius was. It's amazing how, if you want a point of application here early on, it's amazing how God meets us in hours of prayer. It's amazing how God speaks to us and meets us and shows us himself and shows us things during hours of prayer. Have you ever experienced that? Before, devote yourself to the time of prayers. Peter, just like Cornelius, is in an hour of prayer. And much like us, when we turn to pray, oftentimes things of the flesh uh, start to flare up. His stomach begins to rumble. It's about noontime. Um, Peter's hungry, he's ready for lunch. And so people began to prepare lunch for him as he's staying at this man's house. And as he's waiting for lunch, Peter, as he's in prayer, he, he then enters into a trance. And what does he see in this trance? Let's go ahead and read this. He wanted something to eat, and he fell into a trance. Verse 11. And he saw the heavens opened, and something like a great sheet descending, and being let down by its four corners upon the earth. And, and you would notice this, this phrase, four corners. This, the Bible would talk about this as, as from every part of the earth. So all of the earth is, is what's kind of in mind here. And in it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. This is reminiscent of the ark as everything that was coming onto the ark that would be spared the, the, the flood. Acts chapter 12 is where we are in verse 13. And there came to him a voice, rise, Peter, kill and eat. And this is just a little side note. Uh, for a while when I lived in Mississippi, I used to see like, you know, rednecks with big like jacked up trucks. And on the back of their trucks, on the back window, you know how they put all their identities on the back of the window of uh, the, like whether they're duck hunters, deer hunters and all these things. And they'd always have, I saw this several, more than one time, Acts chapter 10, verse 13. Like what in the world is that? And I looked it up, and it says, rise, kill, and eat. This is not about hunting, by the way. Um, this is about something far different. Verse 14. But Peter said, 
Notice the difference. Cornelius, yes, Lord, I'm going to go and find Peter. Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And so, so, so understand this, what he is seeing in, in, that, in that sheet that's coming down from all the four corners of these birds and reptiles and things like this, these, these are animals that would be considered unclean. So according to Jewish dietary law, he could not touch them. Because God had given them, the law is good, it was given by God, and, and he had given, we're going to talk about more of this in a second, had given them these dietary laws to, to mark them off from the nations. And so um, Peter's real good at questioning the Lord, and so we can identify with Peter, right? He's really good at questioning the Lord. That's one of the best things he's at, and he's doing it again. But you, but you got to give Peter some slack, right? Because he, there's, there's this paradigm shift that is going on. And at any time you, you encounter a paradigm shift, it's very difficult for you to swallow. And, and he's probably struggling with, okay, I'm hungry. My stomach is rumbling. I'm in, in prayer in this Gentile territory, in this Gentile house. Is this a, a test or, or is this a lesson? Uh, like in other words, like is Peter going to set aside his Jewish identity for a quick fix and a, and a kind of a fast food meal? You see what I'm saying there? And go ahead, rise, kill, and eat. Though this is a vision, is God testing him there, or is God showing him a lesson? So we we need to cut Peter slack just just a little bit there. Ironically, Peter is already unclean by law because of the house he's staying in. Simon the Tanner is already contaminated. But God gave Peter a vision of animals, as I said a second ago, that the Jews regarded as unclean because of the ceremonial law of the Old Testament. So it's going to show out that he was teaching him something. Verse 15, and the voice came again a second time. So what God has made clean, do not call common. So a shift that God had once, that's unclean, a shift had happened, a paradigm shift. Something had happened because of the cross of Jesus Christ. And this happened three times, and the thing was taken up at once. And the voice of heaven had told him to rise, kill, and eat. This conversation happens three times. Uh, Peter is doing this arguing with God. And, and, and what's going on with Peter to, to stick with the theme of identity? Peter's having a bit of an identity crisis. He knew about the way. Uh, but he still had some reservations about those unclean Gentiles coming in. Maybe not so much about the Gentiles following the way, but whether they could really and fully identify with one another. Could they eat together? Have those dividing walls of hostility truly been torn down? And so you can imagine this was difficult for Peter, this paradigm shift that was probably painful for him. And think about it, these dietary laws, what they can become. They they were a way for God's people to identify themselves as different than the nations. But instead of being a way to remind themselves of being set apart from the world, this law, these dietary ceremonial laws, they can become a point of pride and false assurance. Hearts still could be bad. You could eat right and think that you are good because of the food that you eat. And you can start to confuse moral and spiritual holiness. And then that you can start to think that, that just because of your ethnicity as a Jew, you are always the people of God despite your living. 
and then somehow like God owed you his favor or in less need of the cleansing of the gospel. I'm not that unclean. I'm a moral person. So you can imagine ingrained in this Jewish Christian could be this propensity to believe that he was better. And from Adam to Noah, God gave us every plant and tree. And from Noah to Moses, he added every moving thing. And yet when God birthed his first covenantal people, he restricted them to eating certain animals. And so for a millennium and a half, God's covenantal people on earth saw his created world in categories of clean and unclean, holy and common, because God was showing them something. The law was good. God gave it to them. God was showing the separation of his holiness and humanity's sin. But he was always preparing a way for his son. And so when the fullness of time had come and God sent forth his his son, some things changed. So this was shocking, even though Jesus in Mark chapter 7 had declared all foods clean. In other words, with the coming of Jesus into the world and with the final cleansing sacrifice of Christ now offered... And with the command to take the gospel to all ethnic groups, to all nations, the old ceremonial laws about food are lifted and the barrier to the Gentile world is removed. So as God worked mightily through Peter through this Gentile territory, and God had been doing mighty things in Peter's life, he was now doing something deep in the heart of Peter. So there's two lessons, really, from Peter's vision, scene number two. The Lord is telling him that no human being is common or unclean. None is to be spurned, shunned, rejected, and despised because of ethnic origin or race or culture or physical traits. Christians should have no part in this of any kind. And the second lesson that he is showing us from this text is that every nation, that's, that is every ethnic people group around the world, are being prepared by God at this moment to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ, and God is sending him to the nations. And so we eat all things now because the victory that Christ has won on the cross. And what God is getting across to Peter is that victory won by Christ is good news for all people from every corner of the world, Jew and Gentile alike. There's level ground at the foot of the cross. Food does not make you holy. It was given by God as a sign, and finish are all the types and shadows of the ceremonial law. Certainly this was difficult for Peter. Verse 17, these two men converged. So scene one, Scene two, scene three, Cornelius and Paul converge. Verse 17. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision he has seen might mean, God had just told him, and he's still perplexed by this, and you understand why at this point. 
Behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius had made an inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and asked if Peter was lodging there. And so Cornelius' men get there. They go and they get Peter and they come in and he says, I am the one you were looking for. What reason are you coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright man, a God-fearing man in verse 22, who was well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by an angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what what you have to say. So he invited them in as his guest. So Peter's starting to get this, right? That Cornelius is sent because he has something to tell these Gentile folks. He has a story to tell the nations. And so he goes. The next day he arose and he went with them. He comes to Cornelius' house, and Cornelius met him. He fell down at his feet, Cornelius did, and worships him. But Peter lifts him up and says, no, 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 I'm a man too. And he talked with him and went in and found many persons gathered. So Cornelius like brings his whole family. Come hear what this guy has to say, please. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me, so he's starting to get it, that I should not call any person common or unclean, verse 29. And so when I was sent for, I came without objection. Did you really, Peter? I asked them why you sent for me. And Cornelius said, he recounts what happens. And then he says, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear what you have been commanded by the Lord. And so their roads converge. This Jew and this Gentile, Cornelius, who was so spiritually hungered that he even put away his own racism and reached out to Peter. He could have said, I'm a Roman centurion. How fitting is that you, a pheasant, a preacher, a a fisherman, have come at my command. But he didn't. He desperately wanted to hear what Peter had to say. And then Peter, as the Lord worked mightily through Peter, as, as he struggled with the Lord, was showing him in this vision, Peter went and he obeyed and he was ready to proclaim what God had told him. What we were seeing as their roads converged, as, as God prepared Cornelius and then God prepared Peter, and as he converged their two stories together, we're seeing that the gospel is going to the Gentiles and we're also seeing that Jew and Gentiles are one in Jesus Christ. We're seeing that wherever he leads, we must go. Cornelius must go and Peter must go. We must humbly obey his word. When God shows us in his word what he has said, we must obey. We must go. We're seeing here as their roads converge that we must connect with the people he sends to us. And we must tell the good news. And he tells the good news in verse 34. If you ever need a summation of the gospel, let's listen to this. And so Peter opened his mouth and said, here's what the Lord has called me to tell. And this is still the story we have to tell the nations. Our neighbors around the corner and around the world, this is still the story, the good news of the gospel that is changing lives this very hour. Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. I've learned my lesson But in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. 
So he's preaching the gospel of peace. He is preaching Jesus is Lord of all. Jesus is king. He is Lord of everything. We must answer to that king. You yourselves know what happened through all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed. He's God's anointed one, Jesus of Nazareth. He's the anointed Messiah. He's the Savior of the world. He was with the Holy Spirit and with power. He was doing good things, and he was healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. He was living a life perfectly pleasing to the Father, living the life we could not live. And he died the death that we deserve. They, they put him to death and they hung him on the tree. He became a curse for us. Cursed is anyone who hung on a tree. He became the covenantal curse for us. What we deserve because of our covenantal law breaking. He did what we could not do. He made a way for us to be clean. He washed us with his precious blood. By becoming the curse for us, he hung on a tree. But even more, God raised him up on the third day. He was raised for our justification. God accepted that sacrifice as the once and for all sacrifice, finished all the types and shadows of the sacrificial system. But God raised him up, not to all people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, to Jews first, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. There is only one way for salvation in all of the world, from all four corners of the world. This is the way. He is the one, and he is the righteous judge of the living and the dead. And to him all the prophets bear witness. And here's the promise. Don't tell them all that without the promise. Everyone. I'm going to circle that. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And that's the only reason any of us are clean. And that's the only reason any of us are welcomed by the Father because He has done a work in us and it's simply by believing and trusting in the work of Christ through His name that we receive forgiveness of sins, Jew and Gentile alike. Anyone you come into contact with, He is the judge of the living and the dead, not us. The gospel tears down walls for all people. Are there still folks in your life that you think, by no means, Lord, this isn't for them? The gospel is for them. Everyone who believes. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, I read it to begin our service this morning, is that we were all once alienated and separated from Christ, separated from the covenantal promise, having no hope without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near. We are reconciled only by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's only by the blood of Christ that we are made clean. And he goes on to say that we go on preaching peace and that he has torn down the hostility that once stood so that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with saints and members of the household of God. That's what the church gets to show. 
that we come from all sorts of different backgrounds and places, uh, economics and whatever it might be. We have all different stories. But we have one story to tell the nations, and that's the good news that at the cross of Jesus Christ, there's level ground, and the only hope for any of us is the cross of Jesus Christ. And so Peter went to the nations. He proclaimed the gospel, that you are no longer alienated, that if you trust in Jesus, you are brought near, and that we are fellow citizens. And while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was even poured out on the Gentiles. God was doing a work like no other. So let me ask you a few questions as we close out. In a long narrative like this, it can be maybe hard to put together some of those applications. But let's make it simple this morning. One is there's only one way. Jesus is cursed, and he is the one, as he hangs on the cross, he becomes the curse for us. And he's the only one that makes us clean. Let me give you this other thought. Are there folks that need to hear this good news? Maybe even good God-fearing folks like, maybe this is you, I don't know, like Cornelius, who still need to hear the gospel. They're righteous, upright, well-respected, but they have not yet trusted in the good news of Jesus Christ. Are there folks like that? Are, Are there folks that need to hear? How will they hear unless someone tells them? How beautiful are their feet that bring the good news? And I I wonder if there's another principle here. I wonder if sometimes people are more ready to hear than we are to tell. I think about that all the time. I realize this might not be true across the board, but we see how the Lord does this, that he's preparing Cornelius, and then separately he's preparing the messenger Peter, and then their roads converge together. I, I wonder if we think about that through the day, that maybe God is bringing me uh, to the playground, to the grocery store, to the park, or whatever it might be, to school, whatever it might be, and, and maybe in an hour of prayer, God has put someone on your heart, on your mind, and then all of us, have you seen this before? Like, all, you've been praying for this person, thinking about this person, and all of a sudden, like, they randomly show, randomly, quote-unquote, show up in your life? Maybe that's God saying, like, share the good news, pray for them, minister to them. I I wonder if people are more ready to hear than we are to tell. I wonder if there's people in our lives that your cultural identity is so strong that you've eliminated the possibility of others coming in. I wonder if God would tear down that wall in your own heart today. Because in Christ, there's no basis for discrimination of any kind, prejudice or elitism to ever be on the lips of any Believer in Jesus Christ, for the Lord does not show favoritism. I want to end with this story, very brief illustration from, he used to be a pastor at uh, the Moody uh, Moody Bible Church in Chicago. H.A. Ironside, Henry Ironside, Harry Ironside was his name. And the story goes, Ironside tells the story that Uh, When his father had died, that was in the process of dying, that this passage, oddly enough, Acts chapter 10, was running through his father's mind, and he kept repeating a a great white sheet and wild beast, and then he would get stuck, and, and, and he couldn't think of what came next. And finally, one of his friends 
realizing that he couldn't get the words out, and he stalled in the same place over and over again. One of his friends bent over and whispered to him. He said, John, it says creeping things. And his father said, oh, yes, that's how I got in. Just a poor, good-for-nothing, creeping thing. But I got in. I wonder if the Lord would do a work in our lives this morning. Would we say, God, I was just a poor, creeping thing, a sinner condemned unclean. But by the power of Jesus Christ, you let me in. And would we just say, thank you, Jesus. Let's pray.